Hey everyone, welcome back to For Soul's Sake, a podcast in which I aim to give you candid conversations on spirituality and wellness alongside a host of amazing guests. Thank you all so much for tuning in to listen, learn and grow together. And I'm so, so honored today to be joined by an amazing, amazing guest. Now, you know, I'm committed and fascinated by introducing you to people who uh, can expand your mind, who can help you to heal internally and externally and give you insight into a life less ordinary. And today's guest, Ian Nene, is a former actor, model and public figure who is focused on sharing ancient wisdom from the East throughout the heart of London today. Having lived as a monk for over three years, Ian has thrown himself deep into the practices of yoga, mantra, and looks to share all of that with us in a dynamic and exciting way. As a fellow Bhakti practitioner, I'm thrilled to have him on For Soul's Sake to share his interesting spiritual journey from celeb to monk, as well as the obstacles he overcame to be here with us today. Ian, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was a nice intro. Oh, thanks. I'm trying. I'm trying to write some good stuff to glorify our guests. Thank you so much for being here. How's your day been? What have you been up to? Oh, it's been busy, busy mentally, thinking about things, strategizing things and trying to, you know, just figure out life, isn't it? We're all going through this interesting journey of quote unquote self-discovery and at the same time having to deal with so many demands of the world. So I'm kind of in that whirlwind at the moment. Yeah, (laughs) trying to figure out how to be a human being as opposed to... Uh, a, a human doing exactly you know I, I remember we were speaking about this earlier about yeah. um, this concept of being and becoming and how you know the world pushes us to become something great to become you know this person who um, fits this particular kind of status quo who is presented in a particular fashion mm. and we forget to be just being being who I am in the now and being okay with that and appreciating the steps that I'm going through in my journey at the present moment. And I'm a victim because I don't focus too much on being. I'm always on becoming. Wow. I want to be that great version. And then spaces like this force you to kind of step back and yeah. be, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. This is going to be a good episode. I can already feel it. <laughs> I can feel it. I can feel it in my bones. Yeah, I'm gassed. Um, I'm gassed. <laughs> tell us your story from moving from Kenya to the UK from being a student to a monk, tell me a little bit about that. How did, tell me the kind of key points at which that life transition happened for you. Right, right. Yeah. So acting in the media industry was a big thing for me from a young age. Mm. I was first on stage around 9, 10. Where I started 9, 10 being, years old? Yeah, between 9 and 10, yeah, when wow. I started doing like performances on stage. And I remember I went to my mom and I told my mom, I want to be an actor. <laughs> and then she looked at me and she was like, oh, my son, you know, wishes were horses, beggars would ride because uh, you're not in Hollywood. You're in Nairobi <laughs> and the industry is not as big. So um, she kind of knocked my hopes of getting into the industry at a young age. But then somehow other, the divine arrangement was there. I was performing once in school. We had a prize giving day and my mom came for my performance, which mm. was great. And then at the end, some producer just waltzed in and was like, oh, are you Ian's mom? Um, would like to get him on a show. Um, and then boom, from there it started. I did my first show with um, a Kenyan online streaming company. And then that grew into this other big show that was what really took my career in one sense to the next level, which I was for like six and a half years. And then I also did different other projects, different ads and different things. So my childhood kind of was immersed in this world of after school, I'm learning lines for my script, which I'm going to be performing this weekend. Or, right. You know, so that was, I never really All had right. like your conventional childhood in one sense. Um, did that affect you? It did. I mean, I used it as a coping mechanism and I don't tell many people um, this, but uh, obviously because it's you. <laughs> oh. um, 
as as a ch- I, I think children in many ways what they pick up and they choose to do externally might just be like oh, oh that's his talent that's their skill mm. but also in a deeper level there might be something that they're using it to combat with or to deal with if they're over obsessing themselves with this one particular thing so for me acting was i over obsessed on it because it helped me escape my life mm. or how i perceived the world i was going through different things you know family issues and i just didn't have the best coping mechanism so i thought if i could get into this role and perform in this role maybe i don't have time or an opportunity to think about what ian's life is going through you know mm. and so that became my coping mechanism um in many ways uh and yeah i used it to kind of deal with different situations you yeah. know i don't think it's just kids i think as adults we do that exactly know? yeah yeah we yeah project into a role so that we don't have to deal with the ludicrous way in which we live our material material lives you know yeah. we, we we stick ourselves into responsibilities so that we kind of turn away from the fact that we have a finite time that's it and that finite time has to be used for higher purpose exactly uh, but no 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 most important right now is i need to be the best at my job mm-hmm. or i need to be the best mum dad etc different roles and uh it's almost like our life is a play right and uh yeah while living that play we forget the, the main pur- point or that purpose of that play exactly so i li- i even lost the purpose of my acting that's far. at at a point because i was just like what am i doing this for wow. i couldn't even tell you because i was just using it to run away from my reality but i did it pretty well mm. i perf- i must say yeah. i was a good actor in the sense where i hid my actual reality and what Ian was going on for a long time. Um I used to be bullied in school as well. So oh, that wow. kind of, you know, um helped me kind of cope with all of that because the same people who bullied me now wanted to be my friends. Wow. Ah, so that was a good life lesson. Um and then when I got to high school, I managed to get myself into my dream high school which was arts focused and then and I got a scholarship there. It was a quite an expensive school, but um we kind of pushed for it. That was an interesting story in itself but for another day, but mm-hmm. kind of ended up getting a scholarship and then from there um my mom was able to, you know, create uh, uh, an opportunity for me to study abroad. And so I got accepted to the uh, University of Kent, which was my second dream uni. So my dream uni was in America, American oh. Academy of Dramatic Arts, okay. which was a big one, but then it was so expensive. So my mom was like, "Mm-mm, we're not there yet." <laughs> <laughs> so um go to the UK. The time spent on your degree in the UK will be much cheaper. Yeah. So go and experience that. And then I landed in the UK, and you can imagine I'm in this new country. I'm by myself. I've got a free life since to do whatever i want <laughs> and i've got a little bit of money in my side so i kind of just had your first years of uni experience i went all out kind of just went crazy and uh partied like anything i remember there were days i you know would come back and i'd be wondering what day is it of the week is it tuesday wednesday do i have lectures wow. today and, and till i got an email from the uni saying okay you're an international student you need to be in class at least 70% of the time otherwise we will question your visa stay so oh, it was got issues yeah but i was still parting it up turning <laughs> it up you know i was kind of in that whirlwind and i could see i was always seeking a part of me still was always seeking i was born in a catholic background but never really had the answers but i was always kind of like questioning like you know 
what's is there something bigger than all of this like you know especially after uh in one sense successful career in you know for a short period of time you feel like you've got everything mm. you start to question okay what more is there to this existence you know because you learn a lot from being in the public eye you learn a lot from that space so i started questioning you know like why is the world the way it is but then what made me fully question and that's when i got in contact with spirituality mm-hmm. was once i flew back home after my first year i went back home to visit my family i'd planned all these appearances and shows i was super excited then my mom sits me down and tells me oh yeah and i went to hospital um and some scans were done and i've been diagnosed with cancer and my cancer is in stage 4 so it's moved from my breasts to my lungs So imagine me hearing this, you know, and yeah. my mom was like my only rock. Wow. Um, you know, at the time, uh my father figure was not really present. So mom was the only person for me. Wow. So you can imagine all the thoughts going through my head and that's when um I I did take a bender. I went a little bit, you know, worse than normal, kind of was intoxicating more. Then I remember I sat in my room and I was crying like anything. And I said, "God, if you exist mm. you explain to me what you're on about because <laughs> i just don't get it yeah. <laughs> i just Tell nothing me the else plan. exactly like what's going on because from my side i've tried conceptualizing it but yeah. i just might not have the intelligence i might not get everything correct so you show me because you know everyone is claiming in all these religious practices or in different groups of spirituality that there's a divine force a divine power so i think you're more intelligent enough to give me the information well that's deep yeah so I told him that, you know, and I remember I was high like I was high as a kite. <laughs> But I remember that and I was like, what are you doing? What are you on about? Yeah. And then in that inquiry, um one of my friends, her name is Sita at the moment. Yeah, she kind of went through this spiritual transformation herself hmm. and um took vows and calls she's called Sita but at the time her name was Stephanie. Okay. So she posted a beautiful picture of this lady and I think she was a bhakti yoga practitioner but at the time I had no clue what that was. Hmm. Um and she was based in America but she looked so happy. You know, she looked so zen, so peaceful. She was in all white. I think she was uh, widowed. Wow. Um and she gave this quote of, you know, nothing makes you happy externally unless your soul is nourished. Uh-huh. And I found that really interesting. Happy from the inside. Yeah, out. like happy from the inside, like an mm-hmm. internal sense of well-being and there was like a long explanation, but I didn't really bother reading it. Yeah. I messaged her and I was like, "Hey, I still actually have it on my phone." I was like, "I'm trying to be a little bit zen." Um could you give me some tips on how I can kind of like you know align my chakras and <laughs> kind of like get myself into a zen space and yeah. then she read my message and immediately responded with um she said I can't make you zen but I can give you absolute wisdom wow and the first thing you need to appreciate to make this work is that you're more than this body you're a spiritual being having a human mm-hmm. experience and that hit me cuz i was like Deep okay truth. yeah at first i was like whoa okay but then i would take in my mom my mom had just come from chemo um from her chemotherapy session and obviously her body was finished you know she had even had she had shaved her hair because of the chemotherapy um but she still had the energy and the enthusiasm to crack jokes and be happy mm. in many ways or maybe she was doing it for us as well to kind of keep keep us like you know hopeful right but you know who was having this happiness 
because her body was going through so much suffering. So who was experiencing this happiness? So that really hit me that there's more to us than this body. And then um, I was like, yeah, I'd like to hear more. So she invited me to the temple. So we have a, there's a temple, a bhakti yoga um, center in Nairobi known as the HKTC. Cool. Um, and so she invited me there. And so I went with all these you know, list of questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? What's the goal of this life? If God exists, why is he so cruel? And I was ready. Boom, boom, boom. And then when I got there, all these guys, I'm hitting them with all these questions, but they're all looking at me. So chilled and relaxed. Yeah. And I was like, wait, you guys are not phased by my questions? Like, these are like deep existential questions right now, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but they're so relaxed and they're giving me answers and then they're quoting scriptures. So I was like, wait, this comes from some books? What's going on here? So then they opened for me this wonderful book called the Bhagavad Gita mm -hmm. and were just explaining to me different concepts and how it's, it's been explained in, this, in the Vedic scriptures. Mm -hmm. And that just hit me like anything. <laughs> they were yeah. also African-bodied? Yes, yeah, so these were Africans. Wow. These were, yeah, like wow. Kenyans in Nairobi um, who also chose to take... So this training center is amazing. What has been done is because not many people are quite into... Um, the concepts of bhakti yoga in Kenya because Kenya is very much uh, either Christianity or Islam, you know, focused. Mm. They created this space which is like an opportunity for people to live a much more simpler life because the the exists like you know life in Nairobi is very fast paced. It's super expensive, so they made it somewhat affordable. Mm. But at the same time, they're giving people an opportunity to learn spirituality um, and learn about connecting with themselves and how to deal with life stresses. Mm. It's such an amazing concept. It's super attractive as well. Like you think about it. That bhakti yoga, that's one of the reasons that I got attracted was that I saw people of different races. Right. It wasn't like, you know, right now we live in an age where social, was it cultural appropriation mm -hmm. and spiritual appropriation is now becoming a thing that uh, bhakti is open for everyone. The door exactly. is open for everyone. That's, yeah. that's amazing. That These guys, HKTC. Right. Cool. Yeah, if I ever yeah, go to Nairobi, yeah. I'm checking that out. I <laughs> know, for sure. You'd love it. And yeah, the fact that there were these locals, I mean, there were so many people. We had people from America who were coming yeah. to study. Um, but I had people who could relate with me as uh, a Kenyan millennial mm. um, kind of going through life and they could sit there and appreciate what I was going through and give me some higher wisdom. I felt so at home, so peaceful with that. So I was attracted. And then they gave me this one book called The Matchless Gift, which is a book that's compiled lectures from one Swami. His name is Prabhupada. Mm. And um, they compiled different Aspects of the philosophy of bhakti yoga, uh, Prabhupada gives like a summary, basically, that's like easy for anyone to read. And it's a large textbook, 98 pages, so it took me like a day. Mm. But I read it and it hit me like anything. And I was like, you know what, I think this has some answers to some of my questions. Maybe I should kind of just check it out a little bit. So yeah. I started kind of like going more to the temple. Then my mom started noticing and she was like, oh, you're hanging out with these weirdos. You know, I'm not so <laughs> sure about it. Then one day I went home um, after meeting one lady who was there. She was American, actually. I forget her name, but I really want to see her one day and thank her because she gave me all these books. I had like five, six books. One was called The Science of Self-Realization. I did get a full copy of the Bhagavad Gita from her. She gave me another book, Perfect Questions, Perfect Answers. Another book called Consciousness, The Missing Link. So all of these books, by the way, we're going to put them in the description so you can check them out. Yeah, for sure. Powerful books. So she gave me these books, this stack. And then uh, I was so excited. So I'm rushing back home. And then I get to the driveway because I thought my mom wasn't home. So I was like, I can go keep them in my room, safe and sound. Mm. So I get to the driveway and I see both the cars are in the house. 
So that means mom's home. Mm. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe she's tired because of the chemo. I can just rush upstairs. She won't get to see me. She's probably in her room. Wow. But as soon as I opened the door, who was yeah, in front was. of me? Mumsy. <laughs> Ian, where were you? Right. And I was like, oh, um, you know, I was chilling with a friend like this. And I stuffed all the books underneath my sweater. <laughs> then one by one, boom, they started dropping. And she was like, oh, really? Is this what you're doing? You're going secretly to, to meet these people. Why do you have to be secretive about it? Mm. You know what? Pack your bags, go back to the UK. And she booked for me the next flight and I was off. Seriously? Yeah, because she was like, go back to the UK. You won't find these people there. Wow. <laughs> you know, and then I came to the UK and some or other, there were so many seekers of spirituality even around where I was yeah. um, in Canterbury because I was at University of Kent. That's yeah. what I was studying. And so I met all these people and then, you know, kind of cultivated that, you know, relationship with them and then traveled to the different centers because there's different centers around the UK. So mm -hmm. I traveled into one of the centers, um, which was actually like an outreach space. And they were doing like um, mantra meditation, you know, like mantra music meditation. Yeah. And that's when I first saw you, actually. Was it? Because <laughs> that was the thing you were running. Oh yeah, my which God. Which is amazing. So I met you there. When was this? This was when? I think 2018. I think 2018. 2018 20, yeah, I think 2018. I've got a clue. Was when this was. this was. Yeah, way back. I remember that. And so I met you. Um, but I met all these young people who were enthusiastic about spirituality Ooh. and all that. Um, uh, and then I was like, okay, I think I need to spend my time with this. So after graduating university um, with my degree, I moved into the temple. Wow. It was the temple then for three years. And now I'm just kind of getting out. So this, was, is, this is a far out story. But <laughs> one thing that really one, I wanted to kind of go a little bit deeper into is mm -hmm. you seem like a really open, um, confident spiritualist. And you seem, I mean, I know you as a friend, so I know that, that it's not just because the camera's on and, and the, the mic is on record. You, yeah. You're always joyful and yeah. always um, excited about spiritual life and open about it and able to explain the nuances. But I want to go a little bit backwards and talk about the relationship with your family and spirituality. Right, right. The reason why is because one of the most common questions I get is that my family aren't really so supportive. My family don't appreciate spiritual values, you know, spiritual values of ahimsa, nonviolence, and therefore not eating meat. Yeah. Uh, values of not intoxicating, not taking substances, etc. Mm -hmm. You know, friends would sometimes alienate you for not drinking. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, what other values? Chanting and mantra and meditation and breathing and, you know, things that are uh, uh, are in one sense quite alien to normal culture. What would be your advice to someone dealing with friends, family, close ones who clearly are rejecting someone who is trying to be a spiritualist? Right, right. No, I, and I think that's an important thing yeah. because many people go through that. Yeah. I made the mistake of being rebellious about it. How do you mean? In the beginning, in the beginning, in the, at the start, yeah. where I kind of... Okay, so we can put ourselves in the position of anyone who's having to go through any forms of change. Mm -hmm. I think... Uh, for anyone, changes might be difficult in many ways, especially when you've understood something in a particular way. Imagine like your morning routine. Yeah. You've known your morning routine to be you. So you wake up at this time, you do this and that and those. And anytime when you get out of that, it really does... It, it affects you. It affects you in one way, shape or form. So for a person who's kind of spiritually seeking... Imagine that, you know, how your family have known you has been their day routine, mm. their day, daily routine. And then all of a sudden you've broken that, you know. And yes, we get so much conviction. You know, we know that actually there's something real here. So it's more on how compassionate we are to allowing them in their change to process it naturally. 
Because I immediately just hit my mom with, okay, mom, what are we having for dinner? We're having chicken? No, thanks. I'm a vegetarian now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, oh, yeah, you know, you, you, you go, guys are going out and they're going to have some drinks. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't do that anymore. I prefer to sit back and do some reading when a couple of weeks before I was the first one at the club. Yeah. You know? You were the instigator. Exactly. I was the one orchestrating <laughs> the parties, right? Yeah. So for them, I think it's so difficult for them to process who's my person becoming. Who's my son become? Who's my friend? And is it right? Is it safe for them? Because they're always approaching us from an angle of love. The problem is they might not have a deeper understanding of it. And we are giving an overload of so much information so quickly that they don't have time to process it. Mm. So in the beginning, I made that mistake where I was just hitting my family with so many philosophical points, which they're like, gosh, you know, Mm. my mom, especially because she was like, I was, you know, changing your diapers. And now you're here trying to criticize my way of life because I did that. I made that mistake of criticizing how she was living her life and giving her that this lifestyle is the best way to do it. But I realized actually if my approach was a little bit more compassionate and understanding, okay, look, mom, I get where you are and I understand that my changes have been a little bit crazy. It might seem like a phase. Don't worry. I'm just, you know, learning a few things, taking some time out here and there to focus on some things. Mm-hmm. And I can see they're working for me positively. I'd love your support with it. I feel like if I approached her with that mood, things would have been much better. But I didn't. And I came with this whole like, you know, contrast in uh, this contrasting reality that's difficult for her to process because she's known her life in a particular way. Yeah. And so far, she's been managing. I mean, she's raised three kids. She's done a lot for she's her life. Right. Yeah, she's doing pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, for me to be so staunchly against her existence in one sense must be a little bit stabbing for her, considering she loves me to bits. Mm. So, you know, we, um, if maybe for us who are going through this transition, probably people did it much better than I did. But if they're a little bit more compassionate, you know, and just like, you know, like with a baby who's like trying to walk and then they fall, you know, you don't like go for the baby like you're useless, you know, you're wrong. But you treat them with compassion, you know, um, and gradually they get the ropes of it and they appreciate you. And now, ever since I started doing that, my family are like my number one rooters. Like my mom's pretty supportive of me, um, obviously, to the extent with with which she can be. Right. Yeah, it's amazing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she's rooting for me. She asks me, how are you doing? How's your meditation going? Even though she's doesn't understand much about it sure. but she wherever she feels she can support she is mm. and she doesn't feel like she's lost her son because there was that fear of i'm losing my son to something i don't know right or i'm you know and that was the, the, the theme around my family that they right. felt that they were losing me but up up until i got to assure them that you know I yeah think, just yeah. because we're going through moments of discussing existential questions mm-hmm. or an existential crisis per se doesn't mean we need to force that experience on others. That's it. You know, it's so important that we let people experience spirituality based on where they're at as opposed to who we want them to be. That's it. You know, we want we want to force them through a door that we're going through, but mm-hmm. they may not fit right now through that door. That's and I it. think you said it perfectly that dealing with people with compassion, dealing with people with uh, understanding where they're at as opposed to where I want them to be and dragging them along. Right. You know, and I think um, change is hard. It is. You know, when, when we see someone who we're even close with, even in our spiritual communities, that's going through a transformation of thought, you know, for example, I sometimes have to deal with people not accepting chanting as the only way, even though that's my life. Yeah. And imagine I have to deal with people who have to uh, perhaps explore their spirituality in different ways than I did. Mm-hmm. And being able to accept that and love them all the same, even though they're not practicing the same way that I practice my spirituality, 
is both reforming, it's maturing for me, it's helping me to grow as a person and to see the world in a new light. For sure. And I like that actually about like I've been to one of your, um, you know, programs Mm. and just seeing a wide, diverse group of individuals from different backgrounds and spending time with them. You also realize that they have different trains of thought, different, you know, philosophies that they live by. But then they can all come together and connect on something in a unified force is what makes it amazing, you know. And so, yeah, we can get caught up of, okay, you need to reason like I am reasoning. And if you're not reasoning like I'm reasoning, mm, but this world would be boring if we all thought the same, don't you think? Totally, like totally. It would suck. Yeah, it would be boring. <laughs> I wouldn't want a world like that, you know? Yeah, so, you know, that that's what spirituality opens for. It's a house where everyone can live in mm. and, and can evolve their, their being, mm. you know, their being and understanding themselves in a much deeper way. So yeah, I, I love that, that you said, a, a, a house in which everyone can, can live. live in, yeah. And uh, I think for those of us who are teachers, you know, I know some of you listening will be yoga teachers, meditation teachers, or even just practitioners at a high level that really, really appreciate the practices, that this principle of can we build a house in which everyone can live, and yes, every door is going to be different, every community, every clique is going to be different, mm-hmm. but at the same time, if we can connect on some basic principles, some basic principles, it doesn't even have to be the practice has to be identical. Yeah. See, there's, there's two things. One is principle, and the other is um, detail. detail yeah. And the detail may be different, the nuance may be different, but the principles, I think, we're all aiming, especially in spiritual circles, You know, I think people are aiming for the same kind of goal point that's it yeah whether it be loving god or treating others with love and compassion being someone that's trying to be free from ego and you know these are all buzzwords that i think everyone that's listening to this will connect with yeah but uh, still appreciating people based on their deeds so they may dress differently they may have a different hairstyle than you some of them may have beards (laughs) some of them may not have beards you know so it's it's appreciating people uh, regardless of their detail yeah yeah actually speaking on the hairstyle because i'm at a process of growing my hair out oh, okay. so i could get because i used to have locks before and yeah. so i want to get locks again do it and then just show that actually this um you know this universal spirituality in one sense really does work for everyone yeah, you know you don't all, all have to be monks living in the temple like you know like i did mm-hmm. like i had that experience but what can from there can you grab and then utilize to transform your life like that so yeah. you know beautiful yeah i'm looking forward to seeing the locks yeah i know i'm excited i can't wait how long do they take to grow no it's gonna take a while but oh, i'm gonna like... use a cheeky method okay. i'm gonna like uh, you know skip the ugly phase and get extensions <laughs> oh, okay. and then let that grow out then okay. yeah, yeah i just yeah. i had a picture of myself because i somehow always picture myself when people talk about these kinds of appearance differences i'm like i wonder what i'd look like with like an earring but when i'm imagining myself with <laughs> extensions dreadlock extensions i mean people can comment on this podcast tell me should i do it should i not do it but personally i think i'm gonna stay clear of that <laughs> no i think you should yeah no, i think you look okay like this i don't I don't know how I'd imagine you with, with lock extensions yeah, now. Yeah, no, no, we're not going to do that. Um, a question around, uh, okay, we spoke about the principle of a house in which everyone can live in. Mm-hmm. We spoke about accepting people for uh, who they are as opposed to who we want them to be. Now, what about when it comes to, we live in an age where spirituality is seen as something that's, I feel, I, you know, I feel like I do, so therefore I should practice, as opposed to having some sort of structure, some rules and regs. You're right. Um, or we live in an age where uh, liberal spirituality is, is where people th- what people think of spirituality, this liberal, like, do what you want when you want, don't uh, be anti, um, anti-establishment. That's what people think of spirituality. I mean, I'm, I'm maybe I'm, I'm uh, thinking wrongly. No, 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 but, you're right. Um, 
yeah, people think spirituality is mostly a woo-woo thing that you just do it when you feel like it. Yeah. You know, yeah. but we both come from a background where spirituality does have some kind of framework. Right. There are some details perhaps, like for example, practicing everyday chanting or practicing everyday reading. And the question I had was to get your perspective on um, where someone who wants to start practicing, where would they start? Because... Do, or maybe you, you don't think they should have a practice. Maybe you don't think they should have a framework. Maybe, yeah, it should be just a feeling and, you know, only on that impulse you should practice. What do you think? I mean, yeah, personally, I wouldn't just rely solely on feeling because feelings change. Why? Right, you know, they change. Like, I remember there was a time when I would, you know, rely on just my emotions, but then my emotions today would be one way. Yeah. And then literally 20 minutes later, it's like, gosh, is that the same person? Is that coming from, you know, one sage describes our mind like a monkey. But not just any monkey, a drunk monkey bitten by a snake and haunted by a ghost. What the hell would that monkey do next, right? And our emotions, <laughs> our mind is like that. You know, it's always like fluctuating, like world market prices. One time it's here, then the next time it's like... So I wouldn't solely rely on, on our feeling. Feeling is important for sure. But I wouldn't solely rely on that. Anything that I've noticed that's great in this world has had some structure, has had some form of, you know, intent formalization uh, in one sense mm. anything be it in business be it in no no one just didn't have in one sense a game plan um of like okay i might try this and structure something yeah. it something like that is needed yeah. and then that can also distinguish the the real from the fake in one sense so those who are actually you know experiencing what they should experience and going deeper with it uh -huh. and those who are just experiencing and you know don't have much knowledge of it but they're just giving words that kind of can guide people but not really giving people something authentic substance yeah so you know i break the word spirituality into three words here we go right understanding that you're a spiritual being so from the word spiritual spirituality spiritual being and then using certain rituals transforming your reality so spirit ritual wow. reality so the ritual aspect has to be there and it has to come from somewhere authentic and it has to have some deep knowledge. Anything to do with meditation, yoga, or spirituality does have authentic sources. Nothing that we're practicing is coming from, you know, my own woo-woo misconception or, mm -hmm. you know, who am I to lead a generation of spiritualists with my own knowledge? Right. I don't have much of it, but from these sources, these scriptures or these, you know, like from the Vedic scriptures, for example, it's tried and tested for days, you know, mm. many diverse individuals from all over the world have taken advantage of them, have practiced them, and they're all giving us the same information. Mm. So I think that's the best place to start with, you know, and then maybe from there, once you've gotten those basic principles, as you mentioned, regulations and all these things, once you've gotten them on hand and can manage them, then you can carve out how your, your application of these um, principles works for you wow. in your nature. I think that makes much better sense. Mm -hmm. rather than ignoring that and just working with your own sentimentality mm -hmm. work with a structure and then from there find yourself through it you know because mm -hmm. yeah. we both had a background where I, I wasn't born in a spiritual family yeah. nor did I kind of see it as innate in my early years and we both had experiences with uh, substances alcohol etc 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 and I think that what turns away a lot of people from even taking up a practice is saying oh no now I'm more spiritual, therefore um, I won't be accepted if I, if I you know, I'm, I'm still drinking. Yeah. I won't yeah. be accepted if I'm still eating, eating meat. I'm, I won't be accepted if I'm, you know, I don't know, sleeping with a million people a week, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that um, 
yeah, look, if we can appreciate the ideals, even if they're lofty, you know, yeah. I can appreciate that. Like now that I'm practicing, uh, you know, my form of spirituality through bhakti yoga, I can appreciate if someone says, Radhika, it's hard, like, for me to give up eating meat or it's hard yeah. for me to stop smoking. Yeah, for sure. Does that mean I cannot now consider myself a spiritualist? And so. um, I think we need to become more accepting of, of no, definitely. you know, the difficulties of reforming habits. That's and, you know, even if you are going to do all the things that aren't recommended in, in the Vedic scriptures, then fine, aspire for them at the very least. Have a desire that one day I want to overcome them, not for the sake of having overcome them, not for the, th that own sake, but rather for seeing that by overcoming these habits, yeah. I may be able to purify my mind and consciousness to connect deeper with God. No, for sure. And I think I was very fortunate that I had that. Right. That I didn't have people who were pushing me to just reform, reform, Amazing. reform. But they gave me this idea, this standard, and they gave me the motivation to feel that I can actually attain it. Mm. Because many a times, okay, you, you tell people, okay, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And immediately what's going through their mind is every time they do it. <laughs> and then it's like, okay. Yeah, you know what? I don't think this one's going to work yeah. out for me. Thank you very much. I appreciate you everything. Keep your practice to yourself. Mate. Yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to go back and figure it all out. But I remember for me, like even with clubbing, so I used to go out to the club. I loved going out to the club. Mm. And a couple of shots does make a difference if you're on the dance floor. Of course. <laughs> um, you know, you kind of a little bit more loose, flexible. I don't need it anymore, but at the time it was... I mean, you know, essential. I've seen you dance recently. Yeah. You don't need it. <laughs> yeah, but at that time I was quite rigid and timid. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was reading these books that were encouraging you know and actually how the books really framed it was quite beautiful because it didn't say give up intoxication but it kind of was um, encouraging live a life of purity and intoxicating your body will be something of the past wow. so I was like that's really sick okay so you're telling me not to give up this but to add this and then naturally this will kind of give itself up you know because mm. I wouldn't want to like fight myself because that's angry and so I'd gone out to the club with my mates and um you know, I was at the deck, you know, as always, you know, hyping up the DJ. Mm. And then I had this moment of like, actually, I don't think I need this anymore. I've been there, done that. I've heard the exact same drop. The DJ's done the exact same. Yeah, it's DJ so-and-so, you know. And so I don't need it. And so I saw actually by engaging with spirituality in an authentic, sincere way, these things that were being shunned upon in one sense yeah. naturally started to disintegrate. So me wanting a life of purity kind of came by itself, you know, yeah. and then I didn't really force myself to not have a drink. I just didn't buy another bottle next time, you yeah. know. Lose the taste. Yeah, the taste kind of goes because you're getting something higher, higher, you know. So, yeah, we need to be you know, compassionate with people who are going through those struggles at the yeah. beginning, right? And even compassionate with ourselves. I think sometimes, mm. you know, those of us who are trying and aspiring for a deeper connection with God, with a divine truth, I think sometimes we can practice out of guilt. Right. That I'm practicing my sadhana, my daily practice, whatever that may be for each of you. I'm practicing that because I feel like I owe it to X person or I owe it to X establishment. I owe it to my teacher. And um, that guilt trip practice, mm. it's not sustainable in the long it term. It isn't. It needs to be taste-based. Right. You know, it needs to be like, I really enjoy X practice, and therefore, I'm going to get on the mat today. I'm going right. to get on the yoga mat. You know, that people say the hardest thing about yoga is getting on the mat. And so even with chanting, the hardest thing is to pick up your, your mala and to chant on the beads. Uh, and so, you know, if I can just build my taste somehow, 
by associating, by spending time with people who have that taste, That's it. then it's less guilt trippy practice. A hundred percent. You know, and 100%. I think that we need to move towards that. Yeah. Let's move towards gaining taste as opposed to practicing out of guilt. That's it. Yeah, because that that doesn't work. No, doesn't it's not work. sustainable. Yeah, I remember you know from my past, you know, you're being told, okay, you know, you you focus on God like this, but if you don't, you're mm. doomed. Mm-mm. Hellfire, you Hellfire, know. Man. Yeah, I start seeing <laughs> how many bottles of water you can hold in that hell heat, and I'm like, I don't think that's enthusing me, you know. Um, but yeah, once I just got this encouragement of you know starting from where you're at and going through this journey, like the Gita says, or the Bhagavad Gita, this beautiful verse which says that this process is. Joyfully and blissfully performed. Mm. And I was always thinking, okay, but why am I not seeing some of these people joyful and blissful? Yeah. And I could see because they're putting this extra pressure on themselves to be, to become something rather than be, you know, comes back that being and becoming, mm. rather than accepting where they're at right now and being okay with it. Like, this is where I'm at. I've got this desire. So, you know what? Divine energy, if you've got the ability, fix it because yeah. I'm going to work with it right now what to do i'm only human you know and having that real sincere authentic approach to spirituality then it's fun yeah even through the difficulties like i can i can share a bit i'm going through a bit of difficulty at the moment in my life just trying to get more situated and Mm -hmm. figure stuff out transitions always difficult but i still get the bliss of spirituality even whilst that's going on you know even whilst my material situation is like oh my god and some days i'm super stressed i you know how my depression moments where i'm just like sat alone the process of identifying that and uncovering it and noticing my patterns and trying to aspire to fix them is amazing and that is blissful and people need to experience it like that rather than a fear-based approach because that doesn't work anymore yeah you reminded me of a story there was once a sufi lady Mm -hmm. get this and she was carrying two buckets through a market one bucket contained water and the other bucket contained fire and uh, a person was just walking past what are you doing like why do you have these two buckets and she said one bucket the water bucket is to extinguish the flames of hell mm-hmm. and the other bucket the bucket of fire is to burn up the heavens and the man was perplexed he was like okay i get the hell thing but why do you want to burn up the heavens like, what's that about like, why do you want to do that yeah. and she said i want to teach people that you don't love god through the suffering of hell nor do you love god through attaining heaven you can love god right here right now just by being in that moment and I think that sometimes we can forget how easy it is to tune in, that mm-hmm. we see ourselves only as, only if I've done X amount of practice can I tune into that wavelength of God, or only if I've done you know, this many rituals in my life, if I've chanted this many names of God, therefore I'll reach God, or, yeah. you know, if I, or, or on the flip side, you know, if I just suffer the reactions of my karma, you know, if I just suffer the, 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 whatever I need to suffer, then one day I'll reach. In either situation, whether you're in the left hand or in the right hand of divinity, it's easy just to tune in, exactly. just to kind of be, I think one, I think the tagline for this podcast is be a human being, not a yeah. human becoming. That's it. That's um, it. <laughs> forget about becoming. Yeah. Tune into how can you be in this moment here and now. This moment, yeah, no, for sure. And that's a really, really an important thing. Just, and, and. Divinity is available right now. Fully. God's available right now. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter where we're from, what we've got, what's in our situation. The availability to connect with spiritual reality is mm. there for everyone right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I appreciate what you're doing, actually. It's really cool because then people can get this motivation to feel like I can do this right now rather than. I appreciate everything yeah. you're doing. I, I saw you in a group of students the other day. 
And I was just like completely mesmerized by how they were all captured by every word that was coming out of your mouth. And I was like, this is so beautiful just to see how you're using your charisma for higher purpose. Yeah, really so I'm too. deeply honored to, yeah, to be here you. with you. Thank you so much. I want to ask you one last question before we go into quick fire round, which all I'm right. super, super, super excited about. All right. um, you're a very confident person. I'd say you're like one of Bhakti Yoga's most confident people, if I, if I could say something like that. You bring it out in me. I feel a lot more at ease in this conversation as well. Um, what about doubts? Do you have doubts on, a, on, on the path? Do you have, yeah, what's perhaps your biggest doubt at the present moment? And how are you dealing yeah. with that? Let's let's try and see in positive light as well. Right, right, right. No, for sure. Yeah, doubts will always be there. Or at least for me, I've always been there. Yeah. You know, I don't think anyone ever treads onto new land without worry or without uncertainty. I feel like in any situation, mm. that's always going to exist. Um, I do get doubts on a regular basis. Uh, the difference is what I do with the doubt. Um, so I've noticed the times when I'm, I've got doubt and I'm not addressing it. I'm not bringing it to light so that I can get it either extinguished or clarified. I harbor all these. It's It kind of creates like this um, spider diagram within my psyche mm. of reasons that support my doubt. And then I get into this um, whirlwind of criticism and judgment. You know, be it if I see, okay, you know, some of the things that we're running are maybe organizational based and structures and systems have to be there. And in one sense, they're kind of necessary evils. They need to be there, but we could also probably try our best to do without them and yeah. then you see so many things so when a doubt comes if i just don't address it or bring it out then um i find it, it becomes like a parasite that kind of eats into me more and makes me become an offensive individual in the sense that i look at people and i'm judging them or i'm judging the system or i'm judging the scriptures and stuff like that but i think the way this bhakti yoga process works which is nice is that you've got these relationships with individuals that probes you to bring out your doubts, wow. you know, and it, it, it kind of forces you to sincerely bring out your doubts so that, you know, someone can clarify them for you and give you clarity and make you understand, okay, where this might be. And then if the doubt's not resolved, then they can look for something else. But it creates a platform where you can problem solve whatever disturbances are coming within. And so I've been very fortunate that, you know, I've got people who I go to and I'm like, okay, dude, I read this and, uh, it's not making sense to me. So I need you to clarify it for me. Otherwise, I'm not going to live my life based on what that just says. And then right. they give me the... Because it's kind of like a zip file. Spirituality is kind of like a zip file. Zip, oh, like yeah. a compressed file. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you open one document and then within it, there's so many different layers. Yeah. And so at times you can get caught up on one thing and with our own limited mind, draw up so many other conclusions. Mm -hmm. But if we open up to individuals, especially those who are confident about the process, those who've studied, who've put their time and their work. I'm not a reader. Like, I don't like to read i've really struggled with it for a long time so i like to hear from cool people who read and then i hear from them and that's what makes it easy for me um because we've got this kind of individuals then it makes it easy you know for us to kind of extinguish these doubts because it's kind of like a fire that will burn up any confidence that you have on the process because at times things might not go so well mm -hmm. and then you you start to say okay maybe this doesn't work or you right. know or you know maybe you you called out to god in this particular situation and then you didn't see god's hand actively responding so you say all right he doesn't exist it doesn't right. work you become transactional with the divine energy um but i think if you have people you can open up to yeah you know just tell them as you feel it you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and not having to like you know hide it just be honest this is what i feel dude help me right now totally. and it, it does work yeah faith comes from honeybees mm. you know how do you get honey out of a lotus flower 
you can either take the lotus flower and try and get a pestle and mortar and try and grind it up yourself mm -hmm. and try and get the honey out that way, the nectar out that way, or you go and find bees nearby. They know how to extract the honey. That's they it. know how to extract the, the nectar from the lotus flower, right? So just associate with those who already have faith, those who know how to understand the, the nuances of scripture, the, the rules and regs, the rituals and why they're there. Just hang out with honeybees, you know, become right. a honeybee. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, that makes me think about something which I think is also important to share. Like, it's so good in one, okay, we shy away from this, but it's so good to say, I don't know. Right, fully. It's okay to say, I don't know. I don't have the answers. Mm -hmm. I can come to you to give me the Because people don't like to say they don't know. No. One time I was at a program and I knew many people who were there were new. So then I asked, how many people are hearing this for the first time? No one puts their hands up because yeah. no one wants to look like they don't know. Right. You know, but... um. Seeking help or seeking guidance doesn't mean that you've given up. It means that you choose not to give up. That's why you're going to these people. You're asking them questions. You're experiencing, you're expressing what you're experiencing. And then, then they can give you the guidance. So you actually don't lose by asking help. Yeah. You don't lose by not knowing. You're a winner by not knowing because then you learn, right? Especially around friends and family, you know. Like yeah. in my immature state of, you know, when I first came to a path that was less ordinary, let's call it. Um, I remember trying to make up answers simply to impress and convince the people that were closest to me. Mm. And if I had just been a little bit more honest and said, you know, what? I don't know, but I do know people that do. Mm. Or if I just, yeah, just being honest just for the sake of integrity, I think I could have convinced people a lot faster. For sure. About my practice and, sure. and why I was taking to a, a, you know, a practice that is no longer materially based. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's so, so, so important. Even as a spiritualist who I'd, uh, who, you know, now I'm what, 15 years into my practice. Um, there's so many things I still don't understand. Mm. And I think that it's more, uh, I think this is something for teachers who are listening to this. It's okay to say you don't know, right. you know, but to also still know that there are people that do and pointing people in that direction. Direction, that's it. No, you know, 100%. It's, it's, yeah. That's it. Should we go into some quick fire? Let's go for it. Let's do it. Right. By the way, I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, no, I love this. This is amazing. This has been really no, cool. You need to get me here. Uh, you know, I mean, we're doing it again. Yeah, we're, no, we're, we're doing this more regularly. <laughs> Even if people don't want to. It's, just, it's, it's <laughs> it happening is for me. <laughs> uh, quick fire round. Okay. Question number one. Deep breath. <sighs> okay. Question number one. Best advice you've ever received? Oh, yeah, by the way, these are one word, one sentence answers. You're not the main character in everyone's movie. Oh, <laughs> I want to hear more now. <laughs> okay, you're not the main character, character in everyone's, everyone's movie. movie. Anyone that's listened to that, please drop me some comments on what you thought that meant. <laughs> Worst advice you've ever received? Worst advice, wow. What's the worst advice I've ever received? I don't know. The answers will... You, you've got it covered by yourself you've got it covered one person gave me that answer wow. and that was not good because I just trusted myself rather than seeking proper guidance so that like you know you by yourself you've got it covered That's I could like say the most common advice isn't it right like, you got this you got this yeah, <laughs> yeah wow actually you don't worst, yeah, worst <laughs> advice wow yeah. powerful something special about your time living in the temple ashram I'd say associating with those individuals who are 
who've invested their time and energy into presenting spirituality for others, you know, and to teach others. Like my mentor, who is um, a monk, a traveling monk right now. He's a senior monk, actually. Keshavaswami? Yeah, Keshavaswami, exactly. Of course, you know. Mm. He's, he's invested so much time on me, given me so much advice. And thanks to him, I could say anything I share is really, I'm more or less, I'm regurgitating his words 99% of the time. So I could say that was the biggest thing for me whilst being a monk. Mm. Walking with saints. Walking with saints. Oh, beautiful. Um, something people misunderstand about you? That I'm fully an open book. I've got so many layers to me. As, you know, some people, but people might think, oh, you know, you know everything about him immediately. But I've got so many things about me that are quite hidden and, you know, so many doors that require opening. You know, multi-led. Wow. <laughs> and last and final one, if you could create one law that the whole world had to follow, what would it be? One law that the world had to follow. Yeah. Mm, I haven't thought about this one, but I think before anyone has a conversation with anyone else, they should exchange a hug, have a deep hug, and then they can speak. Be it in a conflict or something that needs to be solved, a hug should be there. Because I think that exchange would, you know, make everything flow so smoothly and so nicely. And every time when I have, I, I exchange a hug with someone, the experience of sharing or communicating is just much more serene and you're much more positive. So I'd urge everyone, you know, hug it out in any situation, before any conversation, before any, um, you know, confrontation, give that person a hug. That's beautiful. Yeah, then you can crack on. That, that's what just come, came at the top of my head. Wow, <laughs> that's beautiful. Ian, I'm looking forward to see all the wonderful things that the world is going to bring you and all the wonderful offerings that you're going to bring to the world. And I think you're a really special soul and I'm deeply honored that you took the time. Uh, you've given so much energy in this conversation. You've given so many sutras and one-liners that will really make people think about a life that's ordinary. And I can only say from my heart, thank you so much. No, thank you for having me and for actually, you know, developing this platform. If it wasn't for you, would I be here? Of course oh. not. So thank you for creating this space and for, you know, making this a topic that people can listen to and get answers that will help them in this age. So trying, trying, trying. You thank that. you. Thank you so much. And well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I think this is probably one of the best, if not the best so far. Uh, he's dancing in the background, but I'm dancing internally. I'm so, so stoked that we recorded this. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please feel permission, as always, to re-listen to this episode. There's so many bites that I think will really help to uh, give you new insight into a life that's ordinary. Um, comment tell me what you like tell me what you didn't like give me some feedback on what you think these conversations are doing for you and most importantly please kindly share this conversation far and wide please share it with all your friends all your family share it on your social media share it from your bathroom window share it from i don't know where else where, where else should people share this worldwide everywhere worldwide do it do it please as an offering of love and service to the world please do share it thank you all so much and see you on the next episode of for soul's sake namaste